podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone. Australia's women have just retained the Ashes 12-4 and to discuss the series and what it means to England, it's great to be joined by sporting journalist and women's cricket chat podcaster, Georgie Heath. Hello, Georgie. So you didn't witness any of that, but in typical work-from-home catastrophic life, three giant dogs have just launched themselves across my sofa and living room and thrown things everywhere, much in the same style as England women's batting collapses throughout this Ashes, which were, I think, probably where we fell down. I loved, not going to lie, I still loved most of it. Didn't matter what time of night. I think my my sleep pattern is just about getting back to normal, which is a shame because we're going into the World Cup soon. So maybe I'll just go back to Southern Hemisphere time. But yes, women's ashes. I mean, there were moments of brilliance. You can't talk about it without thinking about Catherine Brunt and Heather Knight and just everything they do for the game and how much I want to cry when I think of the idea that one day they might both retire, which is just horrendous um but there were failings and you can't ignore them and some people just try and ignore them because it's just women's sport which I don't want to do but yeah there were moments of brilliance but quite a few things we need to work on that batting lineup the collapses that test match we were so nearly there we could have got it you know whatever time in the morning people waking up bleary-eyed like ah six wickets in hand this is going to be fine. And then suddenly, bang, bang, bang. It's as if they've been watching what the men have been doing all winter. Well, you can't beat that for a start. I've also got some special guests who are going to be popping in during the podcast. But to begin with, George, As long as it's not my dogs, because they seem to be well, popping in uninvited at all times. Well, that, that's quite ironic, really, because we have actually got um, someone else featured on the podcast who will be with her dog on the podcast. So... We have really got a special podcast uh, um, for... There you go. I actually do episode. have one dog named Tuffers. Yes, named after good old Phil. And we also have Morkel. More named Morkel. So there's just cricketers in all directions today. The first guest to join today's podcast is Roberta Moretti Avery, the captain of the Brazilian women's cricket team. Some listeners might not know, but the team she leads is world-ranked 28 in women's T20 cricket. Like Georgie, Roberta had someone special watch the Ashes with her in South America. I thought Jimmy Anderson was back home after the men's Ashes, Roberta. Well, Jimmy Anderson is still here. Uh, He's watching uh, the women's Ashes, following closely. He's sleeping sometimes during the innings because, well, as a dog, he's got to have his rest uh, for the next walk is in the morning, (laughs) but he's health and safety in in Brazil. Yeah, not... A lot of listeners won't realize, won't know that, uh, Roberta, you've got a, a dog called Jimmy Anderson. What sort of dog is he? <laughs> he's actually, uh, he doesn't have a breed. He's a mixed breed. Uh, he was a puppy that I rescued with uh, two other brothers uh, him in front of my house. Uh, my husband was reluctant in rescuing another dog and bringing it home. So I decided to give a very good cricketer's name to my dog. Uh, so my husband would not be able to say no. And as my husband's English and he's a bowler, uh, we decided to name the dog Jimmy, Jimmy Anderson so he wouldn't never say no to Jimmy Anderson, isn't it? 
So Jimmy Anderson has been living here at home for almost six months now. And, and was Jimmy Anderson up late watching the, the women's ashes with you? <laughs> he was. <laughs> you know what is funny? Uh, because we watched all the men's ashes and the women's ashes, uh, mostly in the bedroom. And Jimmy Anderson actually lay, lays down uh, facing the TV. And I, maybe he likes the colors or the image or something, but really looks like he's watching the game. So it's quite fun. Let's return to Georgie, our main guest, for her ashes summary. Well, to begin with, to begin with did, did preparations or lack of them make a difference to start with? Good point. It was, it's one of those things. I mean, we've all had stressful preparations for lots of things over the last year or two, or God knows how many years we've been in and out of lockdowns. But yes, there was talk that the England women were preparing at home with their husbands, wives, mums, dads, throwing balls everywhere. I mean, if you're Catherine Brunt and Nat Siver, you've got quite a good pair up there to train at home alone. So no wonder the two of them were going all right. But yeah, that was a bit, you wouldn't say shambolic because they did the best they could in the situation. But then when there was the sudden, oh, we're now going to play the T20s first and, you know, preparation for a test match, which you don't get to feature in very often, would be something they would have focused on. And then suddenly it's the T20s first and you've got to think, are we going to change up how we play? Which obviously we are. And we're not that used to playing test matches because we don't play them very often. More on that later because that needs to change. And then also who is going to play, how are they going to play, and what kind of preparation are we doing for that, as well as being quarantined, not allowed to see each other, in and out of bubbles, testing every five minutes. You could say shambolic, but I think they made the best of the situation, and then we were quite unlucky in the early T20s. What, two out of three rained off is just a bit of a bummer, really. Yeah, that wasn't ideal. Um, Heather Knight, our skipper, said we gave ourselves opportunities, but we weren't able to get over the line. Is that a fair reflection? Because we, we did have chances in some games, didn't we? We did. And um, that's that thing we're doing as English people, which I always love. We're like, we were so nearly there, but we didn't quite do it, which seemed to be, I mean, it was closer in the women's ashes than it was in the men's. We had a lot more so nearly theirs than in the men's ashes. I guess the thing we were most excited for is that we, Almost lost, but didn't, you know, when we drew. That was the oh-so-nearly-there moment, I guess. So I can see, yes, we made, we created those opportunities and we just didn't grasp them. And I don't know if that's lack of match play or that the Australians, you can't deny, are just a bloody good side. And in that first game, the T20, when we scored 169, should we have got more runs? We got heavily defeated in the end, but we should have got more than 169. I think it's one of those things, if there'd been an extra 10 runs to play with, it would have, you know, had that extra 10 on the board, you're almost at your 180, that's a great score. And it would change that mindset ever so slightly to be like, oh, actually, we're around 180, you know. But it was a tight, it was a bit of a slow start. But actually, Danny Wyatt got off flying after that and Tammy Beaumont. They So it looked like we had a lot. I mean, at the um, change of innings, you had Alex Hartley on the radio saying, you know, I think this is England's to win. And then... Talia McGrath, typical, another McGrath comes out of bloody Australia, don't they? Just was having an absolute day. And she is, I think she is the hottest property to come out of women's cricket in the last few months. Last year, I would have said someone like, in England, I would have said maybe someone like Alice Capsey coming up through the ranks, but she's not quite at that international standard yet. But Talia McGrath is just absolutely on a mad one. And... The last thing we need is her 
pitching up at the World Cup and doing that again. Well, they followed two, then two rained off T20s. And then we've got to probably the highlight of England's winter, the Test match. Uh, must have been the most exciting Test match England played this winter. And as you said earlier, should we really have won the game in the end? We needed 45 off 10 overs with seven wickets left. Oh, don't remind me. God, that was a stressful morning. It was one of those mornings I was going, okay, it's fine. No, it's not fine. Oh, it's fine. I need to get up. I'm going back to sleep. I can't get up. I need more coffee. I can't do this. I didn't know what to do with myself. I couldn't sit down. It was, you know, that superstitious moment in we all do it in cricket when you can't move and you're there and you're like, I'm actually really uncomfortable, but if I move, someone's going to be out. It was one of those mornings. Yes, we should have won it. I'm just going to, yeah, that's, we should have won it. We've been given that opportunity and we put ourselves in such a good position to win it. And in the end, we had to settle for Kate Cross blocking an absolute pie off the last ball to get us the draw. And as you said earlier, there were some quite fantastic performances by Heather Nunn, Catherine Brunt, and the the the, uh, the batters in the run chase as well. Yeah, I mean, you can't look past what Heather Knight did in that test match it really it was just amazing to watch she was almost running out of partners and she looked like she could have just batted she could still be batting now I think and yeah it was amazing one of my favorite parts was um did you hear about her partner and he was like if you get 150 you know I'll dye the ends of my hair I'll bleach them so the frosted tips so there's a celebration when she got to 150 she starts pointing at her head and we were all like what is she doing is she pointing at the badge is this some weird like knock on wood celebration and it's because she was pointing at him being like he's got to do this now and Sophie Eccleston in that first innings to get really made a difference to get near the um the uh Australia score yeah definitely like Sophie is obviously she's the number one t20 bowler in the world she's absolutely phenomenal but she can bat we saw it a bit in the hundred we've seen it you know she's been around a while now even though she's only what 22 it's absolute madness um yeah I think it's one of those situations and then it gave her, it gave us that confidence going into bowling that we'd got those extra runs and weren't quite as far behind and she really put in hard graft there and it's a very mature head on very young shoulders and I think that's what you need. With more experience in test matches, people will see that just, you know, just those few extra runs can really make all that difference. And you mentioned it earlier, it's a good time to mention it now, should there be more test matches, women's test matches? Always. There should always be more women's test matches. I mean, we don't want to just throw them out willy-nilly and be like, oh yeah, you have a test match, you have a test match, proper Oprah style, but because you want to still main, you still want to keep the quality of it. So you don't just want to have loads of them and then be ro- rubbish and give people a chance to say, this is why we don't have women's test matches, because they're rubbish. We don't want that, but we do want more than we've had. Like you've got Heather Knight, who has been around forever and a day, absolutely smashing it for England. And she's played what? Nine tests, tests, nine tests. Nine test matches, exactly. And that's just, I think it's difficult because the money needs to be in there and then they, it's the debate over the four-day, five-day thing and the revenue that it's going to generate. But I think something like this test match really, really got people talking. And what I loved afterwards is that people were being critical and they were saying, oh, was, you know, this performance wasn't good enough. England failed at this, this and this. But it was an amazing test match. Yes, it was. We should have won it. But it was proof that the women can play just as well in the white with the red ball as they can playing short form 
cricket. It's just about getting it out there, getting more of it. And maybe we have to bring in a domestic league of it. We've got, obviously, we've got the 50 overs and the T20. We've got um, the Rachel Hayhoe and the Charlotte Edwards Cup. I'm thinking we need an Enid Bakewell Shield for some kind of long format of it. Yeah, it must be hard to prepare for a test match when you don't play any Red Bull cricket. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you'd get some people be like, oh, you know, it's it's still cricket. It's all the same principles, but it is so different. And you're out there for 90 overs in a day. You then come out again the next day. You then, you know, it's it's called test cricket for a reason. It is a test. And when you don't get to practice it and makes it even more of a test, it should be called really testing cricket for women because we don't get to do it enough. Well, we've got one this summer against South Africa, so that's a start. But I saw a, a, a tweet by yourself. Why is there no play over a weekend? Oh, yeah, this is this is a bit of an issue, really, because we want to get as many people as you can to the women's test match to prove that it gets those audiences and it's amazing. But it's a Monday to a Thursday in a working week during school time still. So some people are still at school revising. So that knocks out a whole age category anyone that's still at school and then there's also everyone else who's at work monday to thursday how are they going to get there and it's not late enough in an evening no you can have t20 in an evening and go after work but you miss the whole day's play and then it's going to be just me and my dog turning up well let's hope there'll be well you've got two dogs so hopefully there'll be more i've got three don't worry They'll be everywhere. <laughs> What's the name of the other dog? I've got to ask. Oh, the other one's called Jana. She's not named after a cricketer. Sorry, Jana. But I'm thinking we need a Tammy or something because we're a bit bowlers heavy in here at the moment. Yeah, you said, is it tough? Toughers and we're Toughers and Morkels. So we oh, need it. We need yeah, a batter in there. Yeah. Now, when England got to the, the One Day Internationals, did were they sort of, were they mentally exhausted after that test match? And Because the, the scores in the three One Dayers were all less than... 200 yeah I mean they were a bit of a damp squad. although no the second one was we put up a real fight and that showed the graft they have but it has been a long slog this winter and yes maybe they were a bit exhausted mentally and I really hope they get time to recover from that going into the World Cup but Australia also really seemed to find their rhythm which is just not what we need right now but we didn't perform to our best the person I think really shone throughout them was Kate Cross. She's just been phenomenal. Obviously, she didn't play in the last one, but she really showed her worth and was just was absolutely stellar throughout this series. But yeah, we didn't perform well enough in those. I'm just gonna put out there. I don't like to, you know, say drop this person, but I'm I'm questioning the position of Lauren Winfield Hill at the top of the order. She hasn't really put in those performances recently and I think she needs to find some form if she wants to make any kind of dent in the World Cup campaign. Otherwise, bring in Emma Lamb. I was so happy to see her called up. Second ball duck, not your best start. But as I said on Twitter, Sachin Tendulkar started his ODI career with the second ball duck. So she's, she's in good company. Well, I'm old enough to remember Graham Gooch getting a pair um, on his test debut as well in 1975. So uh... There you go. It can only get better. And also being in that sort of COVID protocol bubble sort of life and having the games played in such a short period of time and, you know, not doing well must have made it difficult as the series went on. 
Yeah, I think it does. But the good thing is that there has been so much, there's been so much advancement in that support in those kind of situations. I mean, bubbles and COVID and all that is something we've learned to live with over the last two years. And I think England and the ECB and everyone are doing the best they can to support them in those situations. And yes, it is very difficult, but I think to be an elite sports person, you've got to have that extra oomph in your brain to be able to come back off a, a loss and put in that fight in another game. Because like, if you think about something like the World Cup, their games come thick and fast and you've got to be able to sort of put the other one aside, learn it, you know, move on from it and put in another good performance. I think what also makes it difficult with something like the Ashes being against the same side every day you know like we'll go into the world cup we'll play australia we'll play india we'll play New Zealand. you know you play all the different nations but i think when you come out and you've just played the same team two days before and been absolutely smashed by them that is always difficult to come back from and the australians are such a good side they've got so many outstanding players oh god they're just so annoyingly good and i hate saying that australia are good at something but they are meg lanning is probably the best cricketer in the world right now um Alyssa Healy is just a great human. I mean, she wasn't the best behind the stumps at times this summer, winter, whatever you want to call it, but she's absolutely phenomenal. And then you've got all the youngsters coming through as well. So I could really, and then, you know, you just can't ignore Elise Perry, who seems to have been around as long as women's cricket has existed, it feels like. And she's just always popping up, doing something, whether it's the ball, the bat, whatever. Um, So yeah, there was a moment when she dropped I can't remember who it was. Was it Dunks? I think maybe it was Sophia Dunkley. And everyone was like, oh my God, who are you? And what have you done with Elise Perry? You're dropping catches. So maybe yeah, it they, shows they are human too. And they even left her out of the T20 side. Yeah, I good move on their part. I was impressed by that because you can't play someone off reputation and like history, really. And she's not had the best T20 performances in recent years. I'm sure she'd be the first to admit it. So you wouldn't want to just be selected because of who you are and then not perform how you would want to. So I think that was a good choice by them. We didn't really get to see that much of it because obviously we only had one T20. But yeah, I thought that was an impressive move from the Australians to show that they're thinking ahead and looking to the future annoyingly. Let's hear what Roberta, Jimmy Anderson and the former England international Catherine Leng thought about the Ashes. So you were able to watch a little bit, because what's the time difference between um, Australia and Brazil? Sometimes it was around 13 hours, sometimes it was about 12 hours. Uh, we are three hours behind the UK. So the games that started midnight in UK were a little bit better to watch, uh, but the games that were starting in Brazil at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock were very tough. Uh, but we tried to follow as much as possible. Uh, I know a lot of the Brazilian players were also watching uh, because the event is amazing. Uh, Women's Ashes is an incredible event to watch. Uh, so we tried to give it, make it justice to it, to it and follow as much as possible. And what did you think to the action? I mean, Australia won finally 12, 12 points to four. I, I, I always knew it was going to be very tough for England to go to Australia and uh, win. Uh, Australia is a very dominant side. Uh, they have been for so so long now. Uh, I guess the, when they started developing the women's team five, six years ago, they became this powerhouse and everybody now is catching up. Uh, but there's still a little bit of a gap. But everybody else is getting closer. But 
to beat them in Australia was going to be very tough. Uh, I guess we started, England started very, very well with the T20s. Uh, the test was just unbelievable. It was, I watched every single bit that I could. I watched every single highlight. I looked at every single scorecard because it was just amazing. And the ODIs, I think the difference was a little bit bigger, but I'm not sure how the mentality of the team was at those last three games. It's going to be interesting to see the World Cup. And, and the test match, that was, must have been the most exciting test match um, down under this winter. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, when the second innings started, that Brunt had those wickets, and right after we had the rain, I was so excited here at home that I couldn't sleep. Uh, it was very late, but I, it, it got us all fired up. We were all talking on the WhatsApp group and talking about, oh my God, look at what is happening. This is going to be the chase. Uh, and of course, the day came on, on day three uh, and ruined a little bit of the, that moment of England. But you could see that was going to be a great finish. England was never going to give up. Uh, their bowling attack is very good. Uh, and if the, the, we could see that if the catches were going to be taken, uh, there, there was going to be a great reaction. So the fourth day was very promising. And uh, actually, it became a rea- uh, the, the dream of having a great fourth day became a reality. And we all saw what happened uh, with uh, England batting and chasing and almost getting it. Yeah, needing five and over. They finished up nine down and, and, and only 12 runs short of victory. Yes, and there was a moment that you really thought that nothing could go wrong. Um, uh, but I guess it's a test match, isn't it? Everything can happen. You see the... the I guess it's, very, most, it's probably very difficult for the players, for the fielders, for the bowlers, for the batters to put themselves in a test position and in a test mentality, isn't it? Because they don't play enough tests. Uh, we, women don't play enough test matches to maybe not understand the dynamics because we do understand it, but to, to know how to proceed in those moments. You, you're not, we are not used to, to be playing that much uh, for that long and having that strategy. So I guess what made this test so beautiful is that they believe, like England believed that they could chase it uh, five and over in a test. They would achieve it. They, they could do it. So I think, but you, you can see that by playing more test matches, these kind of endings, are gonna be, they're gonna be happening a lot, but also the strategies are gonna be more developed. I think these girls need more opportunities of playing test. It cannot be only every two years. We cannot have teams like India, and New Zealand not playing test matches. This has to happen more. Yeah, England are now playing South Africa in a test match this summer now. Yes, very exciting news that came uh, that were. Uh, that were released straight after the test match. And I think that it's going to be very good. Very interesting to see what is going to happen. And in the test match, two, two England players that uh, really shone were Heather Knight and Catherine Brunt. What did you think to their performances? I'm a huge fan of them both. Uh, for me, Heather Knight is an amazing batter. I love her style of batting. I think she's extremely focused. I love her technique. I think... Uh, uh, she, 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 she plays a consistent game. She's, she has a very strong mental game. And uh, I think she's a very good leader. Uh, she's one of my favorite captains uh, in the women's game for sure. Uh, so she was able to show what she can do. Uh, it, her first talk, 168, unbelievable. And they could see that 
in every part of the innings, she would she would still look very strong. Uh, I, I think she totally deserved that uh, those numbers. And uh, as a play as a batter of the match, she was very good. And Brunt, Brunt is a character, isn't she? She she is fierce throughout from the beginning to the end. You you cannot talk about Brunt without talking about her behavior and how fierce she is. She she wants that wicket every time. She wants that ball every time. She wants every single ball. She she plays with her body, with her blood, with her mind. She's unbelievable. And she's also a, a, a veteran. She's a player. She's I think she's 35 or 36 years old. And you can see she never played that many test matches, but she understands the game quite well. Uh, so her bowling was unbelievable. And um, she's a, play, a player that would love to see play more test matches because she's, she's made for it. And what did Jimmy Anderson think? <laughs> Jimmy Anderson really enjoyed it. He didn't like the time zones. He slept through a lot of it. <laughs> but uh, it's funny. Maybe I need to get a dog and call her Catherine Brunt or something like that and have two, two bowlers at home. Yeah, I'm a big advocate of uh, test cricket so I really enjoyed the test match I'll jump straight to that I just think Heather Knight was was born for test cricket not that she I'm saying she's a, a not a boring batter to commas but certainly she bedded herself in um really well and stayed the team through in the first innings showed showed them how it should be done actually and you know, when I played when I played club cricket back in the day, when Heather was a, a nipper, she'd she'd bat quite easily for fifty overs. She's just got a very sensible head on her, and I I think that's what you need to to play a a good test innings. And then, um, you know, I think Hens is a fantastic um, player, not just because she's left-handed, but um, I just think she set um, set her stall out and with Lanning ticking along all three of those players really made the first innings um and everyone batted around them but I must say um Brunt nearly bowled the Australians out by herself getting a good fifer um I really enjoyed seeing those wickets I've only really seen um the test cricket so and um, I think the the one day is um you know we, we losing by eight wickets we we were quite whitewashed really if we're being honest, um, disappointing. But you know, under the circumstances, with with hopefully the back end of a pandemic, players have been in bubbles and they've been away from home a long time. So I think any cricket played now is should just be taken as just enjoying it, really, till the world gets back into into a, a better place. Um, I do just to jump to the to the men's stuff. I I feel um, you know the sacking of uh, management and moving players around. It's a bit harsh because again, the England men's players have been in bubbles. They're having to pick teams around being isolated and co- players catching COVID. So it's just. Um, it's just a difficult time for cricket and I think we should just try and sit and enjoy it rather than, um, you know, pick pick the results. Um, yeah, we've just been whitewashed by Australia, in Australia, with Australian crowds. So um, I think our girls 
battled really well and I'm sure they were exhausted at, at the end of the tour. Let's get back to Georgie and put her on the spot with some questions from the Paddock and the Pavilion listeners. Well, before discussing briefly the, the uh, World Cup, I've got a few <laughs> listeners' questions for you. The first one is from Matthew Slack. It's quite a long question. What were the main drivers behind the golf indifference of performance of the team? Are the English women in the same boat as the men where they need to look at the pathway that leads women into the national game? It's interesting because I think the pathway into the women's national game has been looked at so much over the last couple of years. And I think we're only just, we're sort of just starting to reap the rewards of that one. Like if you look at how much has been done for the women's domestic game and then also the 100, you are bringing in those young players and they haven't had time yet. And then there was COVID, which never helps, to find their feet in the international side. So I think it's something we're just going to have to wait and see you know they're going to take time to mature but you've got to get your get into that but like we saw the a side they were really strong there's some really good names coming through someone like emma lamb brought up and then you've got your izzy wongs you've got your dunkley's just come in your maya bouchier so i think it is i hate to say you know a waiting game but it is on the horizon and i think the future is actually looking quite bright because that money and that investment has been put into the women's game in recent years. And you think the Australians, because of the WBBL, have really got a head start and we're, we're going to take a while to catch up because of that, really? Yeah, I think Australia have sort of been leading the way for a while in the women's game, and we've seen that for a long time. They have invested in that domestic structure. They've had the um, contracts in way before we did, and we obviously brought those in, and now we've got more domestic contracts. And I think it's something we just... We just got to keep working on what they're doing at the moment and boosting the domestic game because you've got to set those foundations to build the elite game. Thank you. And I've got a question from Robin Harris in Stamford. I think I know that your your answer to this, but he's saying that given that given that we've got the Charlotte Edwards Cup and the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy, does yet another limited overs format, i.e. the hundred, really help development and, and improvement of the England players? I mean, actually, I love the 100. And there'll be people out there who'll be like, oh, go on, someone love the 100. But I loved it. And actually, I think what it did for the women's game was just amazing. It was, you can't necessarily point at certain England players, but oh, yeah. But then, like I said, Alice Capsi, and there were a lot of youngsters that got their chance in that. So I actually think the 100 was amazing for the women's game, for the money, for the coverage it got, and the investment and the chance for some of the girls to go out there and show what they can do. Like I spoke yesterday, I mean, she plays for Scotland to Catherine Bryce and she was like, yeah, we were playing in an international. And I was just, she was like, okay, so we've got a hundred balls left. I'll use my hundred mindset. What would I need to do? Work it out. So it's all about being able to use your experiences in different formats and bring them into the international game. So the more cricket, if we, if it gives women more cricket, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I've spoken to Catherine on this podcast and um, her sister, Sarah, and the chance to play in front of such big crowds as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think as much for the players as the crowds, it's an amazing thing. Like you saw all those kids watching and they were out there supporting female cricketers, male cricketers. They, they picked a franchise and I think it's worked. And I just hope they can build on it this year. 
John Gilding from Northampton has asked, have we anyone coming through with the pace and aggression of Catherine Brunt? She is still quality, but isn't getting any younger. Yeah, she's one of those. I, you, you, she's one of those one in a million almost. You know, I was in my head. I was compared to how I feel about the idea of someone like Jimmy retiring. You know, they've just always been there, the workhorse who's just going to deliver when you need them. But you've got someone like Izzy Wong, who, firstly, is just absolutely great human being, which is always fun. But she has got pace. She is pushing on eighty, and she is she's a she's a gritty brummy, and I think she could be one to come through. But I think someone like Catherine Brunt, you look at her at the moment and she just doesn't look like she's ever tiring or ever stopping. And she's so passionate, but I think she has been at the top of the women's game for so long that there are all the youngsters coming through who want to be the next Catherine Brunt. And that's really nice to see. So I'm not, I can't necessarily name someone just yet because it's quite hard to replace someone that is irreplaceable. It seems at the moment. And she doesn't look like going anywhere just yet. No. And I love it when, you know, she's, got that as you say aggression oh um, the brunt versus shafali verma last summer was just fantastic let's get back to Catherine and roberta for their world cup predictions i mean it's fabulous that um the world cup is in new zealand what a beautiful country um they've got some great grounds there lovely settings um we played there in 2000 and played played out at um Christchurch University, where they have two two great um, pitches. Um, just remember it being very warm, but yeah, lovely, lovely setting back in two thousand. So I th- I think um, it will be a very enjoyable tournament. Um, and I'm you know I'm biased, but I've got to go with our girls. I think they'll really enjoy the thrill of the tournament. Really, uh, hoping Catherine Brunt will be you know still at the forefront there and Sivit score some runs. Australia is going to be in there, um, I'm sure. I mean, they're just, um, you know, they've got a great mixture of experience and they seem to almost be able to bring in any youngster and that youngster will just perform. Uh, there seems to be an endless stream of, you know, new players coming in and all fighting for for their spot in the team. Um, You've got to go with the hosts, New Zealand. They they won um, the 2000 World Cup. I was fortunate enough to watch the final. Um, and I think the, the, having the thrill of the home crowd actually stayed them through that day. Um, so I think New Zealand will be in the final. And then, um, you know, I wouldn't say India, but they're, they're just unpredictable in a tournament setting um they could do really well or they could do really bad so that's my four england australia new zealand and india just looking ahead who do you think is going to win the uh, the women's 50 over world cup uh good question uh, i think i think the the dominant side is going to be australia uh, i think it's going to be very difficult to beat them but uh i guess England are going to sit after now these three ODIs and going to see what they have to do. What do they have to do to, to get to the finals and uh, play a good battle uh, against them in the end, the possible finalists? I do like the, the new blood, the new life that South Africa is bringing in. I think they're a side that can surprise us. And you cannot not 
talk about New Zealand, isn't it? The home team. Uh, I think they're thirsty for 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 a win. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting. And looking at the the past, uh, the WBL and the players that are coming from India as well, I think they're going to be good. But if I have to choose four finalists, I would go for New Zealand, England, Australia, uh, New Zealand, England, Australia, and uh, South Africa. Let's see what's going to happen from that. But the final word must go to Georgie, Tuffers, Morkel, and not forgetting Jana and her thoughts on the Women's World Cup. Well, let's go forward to the the, uh, the World Cup, which starts on the 4th of March when New Zealand are playing the West Indies, England playing the next day when they're playing Australia. What do you think of our chances of retaining the trophy we won way back in 2017? Yeah, that 2017 win was just absolutely stellar for England. I mean, putting my English hat on, I'd be like, yeah, you know, we can pull this off. We can pull it out of the bag at the right time. But it's very difficult to look past that Australian side and what they can do on their day and when they're not even having a day. So, I mean, I'd like to say, yes, I think England can do it, but I'm just... I struggle to look past Australia. Do you think we can at least make the semi-finals? Oh yeah, handy P. And who else for the semi-finals then? Um I see I really would love to say someone like South Africa, but they were dealt quite a blow when Dani van Nierkirk was ruled out because she's not just a great all-rounder but a fantastic captain. So that's a difficult one. I'm gonna you you can't look past India. They are looking fantastic, although still confused why they didn't pick Jemima Rodriguez. And then New Zealand are looking quite good. The Kerr sisters are absolutely flying at the moment. But West Indies on their day, it's just oh, it's quite exciting because that fourth spot is sort of up for grabs. So you're England, Australia? India. India. As my three definites, and then four, you know, you could have New Zealand battling it out, West Indies, yeah. South Africa have got some stars, but I'm just not sure there's quite the depth that they would hope they have. New Zealand Zealand must have a little bit of a chance because of the fact that they're they're not in quite such a strict sort of quarantine regime as everyone else has got to be, because they've got to be, like when they arrive, are are we England now in a 10-day strict? Yeah, they actually just came out of their quarantine yesterday. I think they were quite excited to not be doing yard time for an hour every day anymore. And are you changing your um, time zone again when the the World Cup starts? I don't know. I think I might just stick to just not sleeping. It just seems to be the best way to do it. It sort of went from mashes, so we had the men's ashes, and then it sort of went into the women's ashes, but also the Australian Open tennis all in one go, and now the Olympics. So I just... I don't really know what sleep time I'm on anymore, so I might just stick to that for the World Cup. Let it all, you know, just not see daylight properly and then try and flip it back for when the women's season starts again. Yeah, I forget you're a sporting journalist, so you're covering, like, the skating and the uh, skiing. and. The... Oh, don't worry. I'm not covering them. I'm just watching them intently. At the moment, I seem to be weirdly obsessed with curling. It seems to be my new, um, my new profession. Maybe I'll take it up. It's a bit cold for me. I don't do cold. 
No. Well, thank you very much, uh, Georgie, for joining me on the Paddock and the Pavilion. It's been a great pleasure to speak to you. And uh, thank you also to Tuffers and Morkel for also oh, yeah, joining, um, joining me on the podcast. Yeah. God, they made quite an entrance. They always do. At least they haven't eaten anything while I've been on the phone. Normally that's when they try and do it, but we're okay. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. And um, yeah, thanks for the questions. They were good ones. I like them. And I maybe will chat to you World Cup or post-World Cup. And maybe I'll be eating, if we, uh, hopefully I'll be eating my words and England will have absolutely pulled it out the bag and Heather Knight will have smashed the winning runs while Alyssa Healy and Meg Lanning cry on the boundary and Elise Perry announces her retirement. We can only hope. Well, let's hope so. I do have some Australian listeners, but let's hope we win the, win the top competition. Yes. Cool. Right. Thanks a lot. No worries. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.